Okay, hey, everyone, I'm here. <laughs> Eric Watson, freelance writer, player games, writer, recorder videos, and tabletop role-playing aficionado. Welcome to the very, very late Thursday edition of Bye Bye Week of Behind the Scenes DMLA Livestream, Crafting the Deep, in which I build, write, and prepare for our next session of Call from the Deep. If you're playing characters Gottwald, Max, Avra, or Toral, avert thine eyes, because this is not meant for you, but for the rest of you. Uh, thank you so much for your patience. We stream our D&D sessions live on YouTube every Friday. You can join our official Discord server with invite link in the description below. If you'd like to support the channel, please check out patreon.com slash roguewatson for our campaign. We use Roll20.net for streaming. I use OBS Studio. I haven't had to apologize for being late in a while, but uh, yeah, we were just... Uh, at the park doing my run stuff and it I just time got away from me and we got started late because we got new harnesses for the dogs and we had to adjust those for like 10 minutes and excuses 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 so I apologize for being uh so so very very late but I did post a picture in the discord so you can see um my nice little neighborhood park that I was at uh which is also a Pokemon gym and two Pokestops for Pokemon Go so that's always a good venture. <laughs> Three-year-old's like, can we go to the park? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> yes, we can. Daddy needs his Pokemon. All right. We are talking about salvage operation. Huge thank you to Bear. I see you in the chat uh, for providing a non-webbed version of this map, which I have taken the liberty to now add uh, dynamic lighting to, which I think I think I accidentally put on global illumination. I think I actually need to turn that off. Uh, and instead we'll just add, yeah, daylight mode is on. I think we're going to turn that off because the interior of the ship, uh, should not have any lights. I think that would be an added little niceness and then maybe the deck. Um, I do have some spiders here because I want to talk to you all about, uh, maybe, uh, having some references to the initial, uh, salvage operation. So as I mentioned on Monday's stream, uh, we do have a encounter prepped, which is the Captain Callus encounter. The first piece of content I'm actually using from Call from the Deep. This is under the setting sail section, and this is meant to be a first level encounter as our players leave uh, the port at Neverwinter and travel across to Gunderland. They get accosted by just a very classic um, debonair, kind of charming, honestly, pirate figure with a crew full of bad guys. I guess it's first level, the way it's balanced is because the players also has a bunch of crew, which actually reminds me, I need to put all their crew on here. Crap, who did they have? Uh, let's see, I need to go back to the Seagulls map. I also need to kind of back up a little bit when we start this session and actually say, hey, in general, where is your party? Like, when when traveling via sea, like, are, is, is somebody, like, is Gottwald specifically uh, controlling the ship? Um you know, navigating? Is somebody else just kind of down below sleeping or checking out? Is somebody else just kind of on the rails? Like, in general, where do people, you know, hang out during ship encounters? And then I can kind of use that going forward unless somebody tells me differently. All right, so we've got these three characters here, which are part of their crew. So let's add them. Uh, oops, not that one. Two ship encounters. Right there. Well, I don't know if they're actually going to be on the top, but they will be part of the crew. And maybe that's a situation where I can have the party, you know, partially like control. Take your number out. Uh, some of these NPCs here, but otherwise it's just kind of up to the party if we want to use them or not. And I believe they have two hobgoblins uh, and then one other red shirt, which we could make that red shirt a scout if we wanted to give them a little more help. Let's go to hobgoblins. These are the actual hirelings. Hob, 
Hob, H-O, why do we not have Hobgoblin here? Oh, that's because it's part of Sinister Secret, isn't it? Uh, creatures, Hobgoblin, there you are. All right, put you on the map because we are going to go tomorrow, so we need to be prepared that two hobgoblins and then maybe just a kind of a scout stat block just to make it look a little bit different and then they all have different tokens that's nice at least and uh, i'm sure we'll have to come up with names for everybody well i guess the two hobgoblins are the same token but that's actually a pretty good sized crew for the party so that kind of helps you know even things out a bit if i want to do actually launch all of these right someone in the galley cooking lunch mac in the crow's nest exactly like that's the kind of things uh when we god mac in the crow's nest would be amazing actually um, but that would be part of like figuring it out. And then the, the my idea here is to have this be a uh, a skill challenge without like literally saying this is a skill challenge, but um, allowing the players to do different things while this ship is bearing down. The the map you're looking at right now, the one that I whipped up together, is after the skill challenge. Basically, if if the players get a partial or total failure, uh, then they will be boarded by this other pirates. And then um, depending on how many successes they get i think is going to determine what kind of state they're in like are they um like all lying prone because they've been jostled with everything and they don't have many NPCs with them and then the crew the enemy's got more people or are they like completely prepared um for you know the borders to come on and you know the these harpoons have come maybe maybe the planks aren't here basically i'm trying to put everything i need uh, on this map and then I can it's easier to take things away than it is to, to add stuff which you know is pretty obvious right there so um, there's a unique ogre here who's got like an anchor for an arm Captain Callus I'm using the CR4 version of him because this is meant to be a pretty tough fight for the party and yet um, Callus himself is also this is not meant to be a fight to the death though this is like he's gonna come at them and then he realizes that maybe they're pretty strong and then he's gonna end up um, backing off and you know, to, to mess with the players again in the future, hopefully at some point. I would somehow love for it to get across that he is not part of the Black Armada. Um, hopefully we can get that through organic dialogue, um, you know, when the players say something or he says something. Um, and the players might be able to pick up on the fact that he's just kind of a random pirate doing his own thing. And in fact, he does not like the Black Armada either. So it would be really fun to do kind of an enemy of my enemy thing, which I was able to pull off in our Rhyme campaign uh, to fairly great effect, or was actually able to use villains as even um, you know, party NPCs, really. So um, I'm not necessarily wanting to do that here, where it's not like he's going to join their crew. They've got enough crew and everything. But I, I just like the idea of him being kind of a reoccurring uh, presence throughout this campaign. And Call from the Deep supports that by giving Captain Callus multiple stat box blocks. Um, I don't know what the highest level is, but I think they go all the way up to basically leveling alongside the the players. And all he's got otherwise is a bunch of uh, Bandit and Thug uh, stat blocks as well. But I went ahead and put um, Ballistas on his ship, and it's kind of a cool, like, harpoon thing. And I'm almost picturing, like, that cool the cool scene from Moana where the, where the what was it called, Kakamura, uh, the little coconut people, they're, like, doing all these, like, harpoon things. They're, like, dragging the ship in, and that was just a really cool visual. It also mentions that the ship is specifically red-tinted, so I kind of put this red tint over everything, which eh, looks fine, I think. It, it gets the job done. But if they get a, a total success on this, then my plan is to not even necessarily pull the trigger on this fight, but instead allow them to successfully evade um, these pirates. I'm 
I don't know what a good DC is to settle at. I, I feel like 15 is kind of the default and everybody, it almost like the players almost metagame where they assume 15 as well. They're going to be level three for the purposes of this um, uh, encounter. So um, if I want it to be, you know, easy, it would be a DC 10 for them. I think a 15. But the thing about a skill challenge, though, is that unlike a group check, everybody can kind of choose what they want to do. And in theory, you would choose what you're good at. And that would allow you to use your, you know, your plus four, your plus fives, whatever. Instead of like everybody having to roll a stealth check or something, you might have a, a plus zero or minus one. So I feel like doing a skill challenge puts things in the player's favorite a little bit. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of just leaning on a DC 15 for them to get things done. Or somebody could cast a spell. Somebody could make, I don't know, an attack roll. I, I guess like Matt could sit there and like, well, I'm going to try to shoot the, you know, the, the person driving um, or commandeering the, the ship. And that's probably something I would allow because bows have insane range and uh, that would allow him to use his attack roll instead of a skill check, which his attack rolls, as we know, absolutely ridiculous. And then I would probably probably impose dis... Well, I guess I can't impose disadvantage because there's little rules about what's disadvantage for a freaking longbow and it's like, what is the disadvantage? Stupid longbow is so big. Uh, is it easier for me to look it up in here? Because the first, let me see, or no, no, sorry, no proficiency, it's longbow item, 150-600, so I believe that means anything over 150 feet has disadvantage, but you can still actually fire your bow all the way up to 600 feet, so I, I, I guess that would make sense, I probably would do disadvantage then, because the ship would be, start off more than 150 feet away, so I would say, alright, fire with disadvantage, but if it's within 600 feet, then he can still target um, whatever he wants to target. And unfortunately, if he targets the ogre, that would be only an AC of 11 with this version of the ogre. At best, I could give the ogre like maybe plus two, plus four AC or something. Basically turning it into a DC 15 to try to hit from that distance with this advantage. And I'm sure he would still do it. But, you know, that would count as a success. That would help, you know, check mark one success for that party member. And probably try to do it to where everybody does one thing. And then... Um, I count how many successes we get out of those four tries, right? Does that sound right? Versus having to go around like multiple rounds and make this a big long uh, thing. I mean, maybe we could do two rounds. Everybody can do two things. But I feel like, I, I think as written, you're supposed to do two successes before three failures. I think I said it wrong last time. Uh, let me recheck it. How are you presenting the skill challenge? Is just how they react to the pirates incoming. Yeah, that's kind of how I'm... Because I think if you tell everybody, hey, everybody, we have entered a skill challenge mode, and that kind of takes away the immersion. I believe um, Chris even said as much during one of the chats um, way back in Rhyme, where I tried to do a very gamey skill challenge during a scene where they were trying to, like, rescue uh, people from a collapsing house. And I believe Chris said, you know, I, I didn't mind doing the challenge, but I don't like it being like, okay, now you're in a skill challenge. Now you need this many successes. So instead, I think you try and make it so it's like, hey, what do you do? What do you do? And meanwhile, I'm in the background saying, okay, this happens, this happens. And what I'm doing really is tracking if people got successes or not. I'll, you know, I'll narratively explain things going on like, oh, that was good. The ship kind of lists or, oh no, that misses and this ship's you know still coming in strong. But I'll make sure each person has to do a thing. Um, and it could be possible that person's like, well, I don't know. I just throw up over the side of the boat or something. In which case, all right, well, that's not going to help anything. So we're going to count that as um, as a non-success, really, and then their whole point is to get a certain amount of successes. I think if they get 
um, let's see, if I want to go around the room, obviously, if everybody gets a success, that's a total success. And then they will not even have the encounter. They will be able to get the hell out of there. I think three successes, you could almost count that as a total success. Or you could count that as a, you, you could really count one, two, and three as partial successes, in which case, maybe that just depends on how many enemies they have to fight. Um, so I do trigger the actual combat encounter. Uh, which I'd kind of like to, so maybe I should err on the side of allowing the combat encounter to happen. Mainly what I'd like to have happen is a social encounter with Captain Callus. So maybe if they do three out of four successes, then the ship does pull up near them, is not able to ram them, and then Callus is there able to talk to them, but the other enemies maybe don't have any of the the things in place, and yet everybody is ready to, uh, you know, board the ship, and we can kind of do a social slash combat encounter here. If they do two successes then maybe their ship does get grazed by the ram. Um, they all have to roll maybe checks to get, uh, well, let's see, it's two successes, 50%. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to feel like maybe they don't get rammed. Maybe they only actually get rammed if they do zero or one successes. I'm going to have to come up with a lot of different versions, aren't I? If, I? if I literally do from zero to four, that's technically five different things that can happen. I mean, it's all one thing, which is a pirate attack happening, but it's there's different degrees, and I can play around with, like, A, does the sh does your ship get struck? B, is, is it hard enough to where you all have to, like, get knocked prone or make deck saves or something? C, how many of your NPC allies are able to respond to the call immediately? And D, how many of the enemy forces are able to immediately rally and even begin on your ship, which would be, like, zero zero successes would be, like, the, the your ship gets rammed, everybody gets knocked around, deck saves, you start prone, the enemy starts boarding, like every you're just caught completely off guard. And like literally and, and at that point I will have to actually move tokens onto the onto their ship and be like, all right, you've already been boarded and here we go. And I think of the all the partial successes, it'll be maybe not as bad as that. Yeah, I mentioned last week that's been my experience where you try to like kind of hide the fact that you're doing a skill challenge. Pulling out the gust of wind to turbocharge the ship or blast the pirate one away. That's very true. And I would, I would, you know, Refus, that's a great example of allowing somebody to use a spell in place of a skill check. And because that's an excellent idea, I would just count that. I wouldn't, that would not be an auto win in this case. That would be counted as a success without having to roll a skill check. I guess if you're having to cast it from a spell scroll, you might still have to make a check. I forget what our own house rules are. I'll have to check on that. Um, but yes, that could be, that would just count as a success. It would, you know, slow down the ship or you could speed up your own ship. Uh, but then I'd still go around and like, all right, that, that seems to be pretty effective. Now, what do you do? You know, and, and try and keep up that momentum and see if people can pick up on the fact that's what I'm doing. Sharpshooter negates long range disadvantage. Of course it does. I fucking hate this feat so much. You know, I, I chopped myself, pun intended, in the foot by allowing everybody to take a feat. And that one's just obviously the broken one. But, hey, I used it when I was playing um, What's-His-Face in War of the Lost Plane. I, I totally played. Or was it Sharpshooter? I guess I had Crossbow Expert. I remember if I had Sharpshooter as well, now that I think about it. Somebody will be able to remind me. I think I did take Sharpshooter. I think people would have crucified me if I made a level, whatever, 12 Ranger without having Sharpshooter. Attacking at long range doesn't impose disadvantage on your ranged weapon attack rolls. Fuck me. And ranged weapons ignore half cover and three-quarters cover. Oh my gosh, why did they roll every good thing into one feat? It's ridiculous. Those two things are so good, and then they also give you the minus 5 and plus 10. 
which is also bizarre because floating modifiers, which is a thing from older editions of D&D, is not really in 5e. Instead, they should have said, um, you know, you can choose to have, you can choose to take, what I would have done is say, choose to take disadvantage on your attack roll, and if it hits, you can add, uh, we'll say, 2d6 to the attack's damage. Like, that feels a little more balanced, I think. I mean, disadvantage is pretty bad. Although, if you average it out, I wonder what the difference is between disadvantage and minus 5. I guess it depends on on the other number of factors, but I think that would be a little better. Ah, stupid sharpshooter. So, yeah, he would... I could still impose disadvantage just because of the, you know, firing from one ship to another ship would... It just feels like one of those, like, DM calls of, like, yeah, this is disadvantage. Even though he does... He has sharpshooter. Um... So I may still have to make that call. If it was like, you know, in combat from this distance or something, then no, I wouldn't do anything. But if it's a ship coming at you and it's rolling on the waves and you're rolling on the waves and you're both at top speed, then, I mean, come on. That's something that I think the DM can just call. It's not like it says you never have disadvantage on your shot. But yes, I would not be able to technically just say long range because that's stupid, stupid feet. <sighs> Damn it. So I'll have to determine um, at the start of the session, I'm going to reverse, I'm going to step back a little bit and say, oh, by the way, let's figure out where everybody is, just so I know for future sea encounters, and then I'll actually probably repeat the entire end of um, last week's session and uh, explaining about this opening situation and allow the players to take it from there. Didn't Heather scribe Gusta Winter's spellbook also? I don't know if we officially scribed anything. I know I was going to mention it to her. Yeah, in fact, I said Sovereign scribe a spell. Um... I forget how long that takes, but I would probably allow every long rest to have an opportunity to scribe a spell, but I would I would give her the chance since they did long rest. Um, that can be just one of the things, kind of like how Raymond had a lot of downtime activity in the last campaign, like, hey, if you ever want to describe a spell during a rest, you know, just let me know and we can deduct the money and add it in there. Because I don't really care about preparing spells. I know we had a lot of interesting feedback about that, um, of folks. Um, you know, honestly... It's probably a good topic for a DM roundtable is uh, tracking. Oh, what's a good way to put that? Because it kind of rolled into, well, do we also track arrows or track rations? Um, I realize, you know, I mean, track, obviously we track spell slots because that's a big important thing. But in terms of tracking like prepared spells, I don't think we've ever cared about that. Like, yeah, we, we kind of play fast and loose with a lot of that kind of thing. And, and that's... Um, that's a big difference with a lot of groups. I know a lot of groups play it more, uh, you know, pretty strict or rules as written. I don't mean to be like disparaging about it, but that rules as written, basically, where you're tracking a lot of that stuff. And even when we first started playing it back in Fandelver and, and Princes and all that, I can't remember, in Tomb, I think, is when we really started changing a lot of stuff, um, where we tracked rations, we tracked arrows. I think Storm King's Thunder, I remember Raymond going around with his ranger and like having to like, pick up arrows from the battlefield. So I think we started our D&D careers, our hobby, um, tracking all that stuff, and then we eventually just started hand-waving it as we just realized nobody cared, I guess. But I will say, it is in our house rules somewhere that we're supposed to be tracking monetary stuff on spells, so stuff like chromatic orbs should technically be uh, tracked, but I don't know, I'm even tempted to, like, say, well... Does it matter? Like, they players have so much money. <laughs> does it really matter? I, I get it, does matter for purposes of like the game, like the resurrections and greater restoration. Like, those that have like real monetary value should do it. But it's just, it seems weird that there's kind of a random assortment of spells that just seem to have a monetary cost for some reason. 
have a lot of views on that sort of thing. I'm a round table. I'm going to try to be there. I know, Bear. I need to try to do one that I can do that's not, I guess, evening my time. But it's it's a challenge. As we just saw me being super late for this uh, today's stream. It's very hard for me to do things, uh, unfortunately, during um, any other time than evening for me. So the average ballista damage is compared to max. So I did write down what the ballista stuff is. These are not going to be... These are going to be purely for harpoon purposes. I don't plan on having these guys actually fire their ballista at people. Um, but I do have it written down that that's something they could upgrade and put on their ship and something they'll probably mention the fact that, oh, wait, these guys have like mounted weapons. Can we have mounted weapons? And I'll, I'll, I'll the DM be like, well, next time you're in a port, ask about installing some mounted weapons and maybe, uh, you know, maybe we can make that happen. It's going to be a, obviously a, a money sink, but it could be a cool upgrade uh, for the ship, and and the ship will be docked for a while, so they could actually end up spending some money uh, getting some upgrades. As much as we're going to do, as much as this is supposed to be an article campaign, um, this little section right here where they do this encounter and then the salvage operation encounter, once they get to Gunderland, they'll actually be on land for quite a bit, getting through a lot of uh, land-based stuff, although it's an island, so there's some coastal stuff involved there, but they actually won't be on the um, ship very long here, and then there'll be, there'll be plenty of opportunities for ships, but I, I think... It's important for Nautical Campaign to not literally be on sea all the time. So that's this thing. This is going to be a skill challenge um, with basically the different degrees of success will determine how nasty this fight is for the players. But these pirates are not here to kill everybody. In fact, Captain Callus kind of has a code that, that and again, I'm trying to get that across, that maybe Gottwald would enjoy uh, to where he doesn't want to necessarily kill everybody, even though he's a big on like, oh, Asmodeus, my father, and all this, and the devil's fin, and it's kind of all very, um, for show, like, he would, because if he kills people, he's like, well, nobody's going to know who I am, like, his big thing is he just cares about his, is extremely egocentric, and he'd rather rob people and leave them alive to tell stories about his, you know, greatness, basically, so he's more into, uh, just robbing this ship. Now, I'm going to assume the players repainted and changed enough of the ship where Captain Callus would not recognize this as the Sea Ghost any longer. Um, but that's something that maybe would come up in conversation about how they would treat the Sea Ghost. And at that point, I can come up with the fact that he doesn't like the Black Armada either, but he's also wary about maybe jacking too much with the Black Armada because he knows it's like he's, you know, a single criminal and Black Armada are like this organized, you know, mafia crime ring of the sea. And he's increasingly going to have more targets on his back because he's not part of that group. And he's, again, this is all stuff that probably is not going to come out in this conversation, which is fine as long as I get a chance to reuse him. He does come with spells like Misty Step and Darkness and all these different ways that he can escape from this encounter, which I fully plan uh, on using as well. I think Misty Step alone will allow him to uh, get out of here. So hopefully we can make that happen. But I there's no way that I plan on having him get killed in this battle, he will definitely pull off and escape when he gets a chance. Gustavin would take four hours to copy and cost 100 gold. Yeah, I think my overall rule is just long rest. You can copy a spell, um, even though technically long rest, you're supposed to spend more time, I think, resting and not doing anything. But that's just the easiest thing for me to figure out is just, hey, during every long rest, um, you can, or, or if we have any, I mean, long rest is the easiest thing that we have a downtime, right? We don't really have long downtimes in our campaigns for the most part, but I think during every long rest, I would allow, uh, the wizard to scribe a spell for, yeah, whatever the monetary cost is. If they don't change it much, you could recognize the seagulls, yelling at PCs, being black armada dogs. Uh, yeah, I could actually bring it up that way. 
Because I think they, we, we obviously went over the whole thing about them paint, you know, renaming the ship and painting it and everything. So it's possible that he would recognize that. And maybe he would even pull off a little bit if he recognized the fact that these guys took over the Sea Ghost and, uh, you know, killed all the occupants and kind of took over. The other interesting thing is if the players actually ask any of their people, which mainly um, Punkata would be their, I guess, main source of information for that. Um, and, and she would be able to kind of relay some information about Captain Callus is actually, yeah, he's, he's known for a lot. He's kind of a dick and, <laughs> but he hasn't joined the Black Armada. So, um, he's steered, uh, stayed clear of us so far and picks on uh, other people who are not part of the Black Armada. So maybe the players can either pretend to be part of the Black Armada and thinking that would, uh, deter him. Or they can explain that, hey, we kicked the Black Armada's ass. So all of this would be interesting. But the main point is I'm not going to allow a social encounter until we do the skill challenge because they're just not going to be in speaking range. I did mention the fact that he literally pulled a giant horn up to his lips. Maybe that's a magic item. I'll have to look that up to see if it's like a horn of bellowing or something. That'd be kind of a fun magic item for him to have. It just literally like a microphone <laughs> uh, or a megaphone, sorry. Uh, but the players won't be able to converse back to him while they're doing this skill challenge. So they would have to, and it's possible they'll be like, all right, we're not going to do anything to try to escape this ship. But I did mention the fact that it's going to be ramming speed at them. So they would know they would take some damage. And I don't know, I want to try to get them to do some kind of skill challenge in prep for it. But we'll see how, we'll see how it plays out. Hopefully it's, it's an interesting encounter. And then we're going to talk about salvage operation because here is where I have a lot of ideas that I mentioned on Monday's stream. And my biggest idea is that I'm basically going to replace everything inside of it. <laughs> um, I thought the whole spider thing was just weird to me. I thought it had a very convoluted backstory that feels like it feels like somebody really wanted to use a lot of spider enemies and a ship. And that's where they started. And then they wrote this convoluted backstory to make it happen. To where it's like, alright, well the ship was blown off course. They had to stop at an uncharted island. The island was full of spider worshippers and then they killed everybody who was on the ship but then like the spider worshippers had to then leave via this ship and then but they got attacked by a big octopus that then that caused them to be listless in the sea but then the octopus is coming back it was just a lot of weird shit to like explain why the ship was crawling with a bunch of like one druid cultist and a bunch of spider enemies very weird so and what i wanted to do is Obviously, and I'm replacing the whole adventure hook, which is instead of you getting the mission to grab a MacGuffin from the bottom of the hold, um, which is the whole salvage operation thing. Instead, this is going to, which I, the, I realize the title makes no sense, but I'm still calling it that so that people know this is where I'm drawing this adventure from, even though this is not a salvage operation whatsoever. <laughs> um, this ship is going from Gunderland to Neverwinter, and it's just a, it's a usual ship that goes back and forth, right? It ferries, people, supplies, whatever. Um, you know, fairly on the regular. Um, but in this particular instance, it was bringing a message from, um, fucking what's his name? Lord Red Axe, I think, the guy in Gunbarg, to Lord Neverember to uh, give them essentially the mission from the beginning of Call from the Deep, which is, hey, this weird craft um, ship, unlike anything we've ever seen, landed on the far side of our island. And since then, some weird shit's been going on. We've had an increased number of attacks. We haven't been able to, you know, we don't have the forces to go uh, check it out. Maybe even he's lost contact with Fiskerbark, which I don't think that's the case. I think Fiskerbark's actually still um, just another town they can 
totally going, but that would be that'd be kind of an interesting thing actually if this whole town was destroyed. I could do that. I might actually go with that. Um, and that message never got delivered because the enemy uh, forces caught wind of this and Zelix Four sent uh, the Sawagan to waylay this ship and make sure it never reaches its full destination. The Sawagan are also essentially minions of the uh, the Mind Flayers now, and they're working for the Mind Flayers, even though they might not even understand the full context of that. So... The idea here is that this ship has actually been attacked by Sawagan. Um, there are still survivors to be had here. And then once the players get in here and maybe the Sawagan can, I don't know, um, call for uh, reinforcements or do something down in the depths once, uh, you know, maybe, maybe I'm using the uh, the Sawagan priestess here as kind of a, a boss fight. But maybe once the players here, she will use her action to do something that will like trigger... Or, or maybe you could just argue that minions of the Mind Flayers are connected so maybe they can see through their eyes. Like, maybe they're literally thralls. In which case, uh, you know, I could do a cool thing where, like, her mind melts or something and tentacles burst out and then these the entire, like, boat, like, shakes and then that's what triggers the big octopus. Basically, Zelix 4 is now sending an elder uh, colossal octopus uh, into uh, the ship and then I can actually run the the whole end of the ship as uh, written. By the way, shout out to uh, AJ Falcon, uh, Falcon Forge Fantasy, I believe, for uh, more NPCs 3, which is on the uh, Roll20 Marketplace and actually does have a colossal octopus stat block, which I thought was pretty cool. It's gargantuan, it's CR17. So if I actually wanted to use stats for this thing, and, and the picture's pretty awesome too. It literally looks like exactly what this thing is going to look at that. <laughs> That's an awesome picture. Literally looks like what this thing is going to do to this ship. Uh, th this ship is still, of course, trying to fire at the octopus. Uh, the one I'm using would be destroyed, but this is a proper sized octopus for this encounter. Uh, and it has some really nasty attacks and ways of grappling people and crushing them and things. And we can talk about how to, how to change it around because I, I was actually honestly kind of disappointed by the way that the, um, the finale occurs in terms of, hey, this is this takes 10 rounds and this takes 10 rounds. And, just, and to feel like there was enough happening. I want to accelerate all that and assume that the players um, won't need that many rounds to actually escape the ship. But it also means we're like re-gutting, re-gutting? We're gutting this ship and re-adding different things to it. So thankfully Bears removed all the webs, so that gives me the freedom to add whatever I want. But there should be Sawagan here in the very... De the one thing I want to do in this dungeon, though, is encourage the players to make it to the very bottom level and then where they're going to be able to rescue people the few survivors because swagan of course don't normally would leave survivors but in this case they're bringing them and implanting them with tadpoles as per instructed by uh the uh mind flares i guess it says i'd have to go back and look at call from the deeps uh section but i believe it said they already implanted one of them which i would love to kind of trigger that although it's also a little tricky to give players what could be like a newborn uh, mind flayer to deal with. That might be a bit much. <laughs> I'm also, by the way, uh, combining this whole Sawagan attack with salvage operations. So Sawagan attack would have been the third encounter that I would have thrown at the players, um, which is basically what I talked about, where the Sawagan are attacking like just people and kidnapping them and stuff at the behest of uh, the mind flayers. In this case, I'm just combining that encounter with this one 
Um, and, and also like replacing salvage operations main encounters. Also, however, notice how I still have some spiders on this ship. Oh, there's two right here. Because I thought it'd be fun to acknowledge salvage operations original monster denizens and say, okay, and Demnix had a really fun point about this in the YouTube comments. Um, what if they were transporting, say, a spider, uh, not unlike that fucking, what did they just do, like a vampire on a ship movie? <laughs> or I think it was Dracula on the ship, the Voyage of the Demeter or something, where basically they're transporting a monster, um, maybe as part of just a normal routine, like, hey, this is, you know, somebody in Neverwinter ordered, you know, a giant spider, a phase spider or something, it's either maybe part of a zoo, or it's for research purposes or whatever else, and we've got it in here, and of course, when the you know, was properly locked up, and then when the Swagan attacked, of course, this creature gets free, maybe kills some Swagan, but now it is free, and, uh, you know, just represents another enemy for the players to battle. I originally thought Phase Spider would be a great thing to do, because it's a unique enemy, it's freaky, it's it's crazy, but then I thought, well, a Phase Spider is probably the single hardest creature, oops, I just clicked on, there we go, um, probably the single hardest creature I could think of to capture. <laughs> in fact, I literally had to look up how would you even contain a phase spider? And the best thing I could see was like maybe a custom version of dimensional shackles that you could have gotten on the spider at some point. And then you've got, so I was thinking maybe a dimensional like a chain or collar that is, uh, you know, attached somewhere. And then cl uh, clearly in a cage, but then clearly that got severed somehow. And then it's just free and wrecking havoc. But uh, I don't. I don't know. It might be too much. Maybe. Maybe it's just easier to do a giant spider because giant spider you could also throw webs everywhere. Which I know. Funny. I just had Bear delete all the webs, but it's it's easier just for me to be able to have a few webs anyway, and I'm sure they'll get burned. Um, so what do you all think? Is it is it worth using? And keep in mind, this is you know this is part of a dungeon, so you need to be able to pace the players. They're third level, so they are no longer level two, but uh, still not you know exactly top tier capable. Um, and my, I guess my opening thought is I definitely wanted them to, I, I want this to be a paste, a normal paste dungeon crawl with the caveat that it's going to be a final, a final finale with the colossal octopus attacking, which is meant to be just kind of a chase, a fancy chase sequence of the players escape here and try to survive while the whole dungeon is collapsing around them as they GTFO. So, um... I, it, balance is always a tricky prospect, and I spent so long trying to balance things for tier three players at the end of Rhyme that I'm now trying to re-remember. Like, okay, they're level three, so uh, we've got to figure out, um, you know, the, the best way to basically throw some enemies at them. Edder Cap could be could be actually an interesting one. Might be better for a cage. I think I don't know if Edder Caps can they make webs. Is, is Edercap as exciting as a giant spider or a phase spider? I don't know, but I'm willing to uh, take these suggestions. Edercap was also involved in the original salvage operation, so that would uh, certainly make uh, fulfill my need to tip, tip of the cap to uh, salvage operation. Where is Edercap? There we go. Yeah, basically just humanoid, creepy humanoid spiders, or just a medium monstrosity. Um, would an editor cap? Let's see. Uh, they do have webs, so that's good. Yeah, editor, editor cap might be the most interesting. Assuming an editor cap would be able to kill a Sawagan, I think so. Especially if it managed to web them. 
Yeah. The only thing about face binder just might be too challenging, I think. Um, and it, it's also it, it a it's too challenging to try to contain and, and say like, wait a minute, they were containing a face binder and then moved it like on this little ass ship. Like this is not some big arcane thing. So it might be too much. And B, this would be like maybe a boss fight for CR3 characters. And this is not the boss fight. The boss fight's down in the hole. So this is meant to be just kind of a a one-stop shop. So we can we can use something. And I'll have to add some stuff to the map there. Please don't add anything else. I can I can add some tokens on here. Um, mainly like a, a broken cage, I guess, would be the thing. Yeah, that still looks pretty freaky. Actually, 44 hit points. That is, holy shit, these things have a lot of life. Yeesh, McGeesh. Uh, two attacks, bite and claws, and its bite can poison as part of its attack. Ooh, average of ten damage with poison, claws seven. Okay, this this thing actually will be a bit of a mini boss fight. Now you could argue that it's wounded, and also it is not aligned with the Sawagan. You could say, um, and what's the, what's the most interesting way to do this? Should it be like they're currently fighting? Like maybe the Ettercap is killing the Sawagan. Um, oh, and the other thing I wanted to do, this is a big uh, change. Ooh, I need to add rubble. Oh, yeah, by the way, I found a lot of cool tentacle um, art assets, which I plan on throwing at the players, even though I'm sure uh, Mac will be like, well, I shoot the tentacles. I'm like, all right, you can shoot the tentacles. There's more tentacles. There's always more tentacles. Uh, what was I doing? Uh, let's see. Look up rubble. caps are cool. And can have spider pets. Uh, they can. I don't think this would be a case of using spider pets. Oh, I wanted to test something also. Um, because I've been using Streamlabs. So let's see how well this works. You all let me know. We can test this together. All right, I am starting a poll via YouTube. And uh, let me know how well this works. In lieu of doing the Streamlabs thing where people have to like type in certain things, I think this way you can just click on the buttons. And I think YouTube added this um, like back during Rhyme of the Frostmaiden. And I just never like realized that was going on. But I, it looks a hell of a lot easier just being able to click on stuff, right? It's kind of engaging. <laughs> Yeah, and I think I can use that for the MVPC poll and probably could have used that a lot easier to do the uh, the boat poll that we had <laughs> towards the end of uh, last session as well. Cool, yeah, it is way easier. And there's no time limit, it's just up to me on uh, when I want to end it. I literally just click a button to end it so there's no timer, so I can literally have that uh, playing. I probably don't want to start the MVPC poll too early in the session just because that's always a really tricky thing, by the way. I always want to run it like towards the end. Um... But you feel bad if, like, somebody suddenly does really cool stuff, like, after people have voted, right? But you still have to time it at some point, because you don't want the poll to be like, all right, we've got two minutes left in the session. Now we're going to uh, throw it up there. It does hide who votes for what, though. Yeah. That, oh, that's true. Streamlabs did mention, um, it does keep it anonymous. I forgot Streamlabs does say, like, so-and-so voted for so-and-so. Yeah. Well, that would be the, uh, what you have to pay for, I guess, is you wouldn't get that that level would be more anonymous, but maybe we get more engagement this way. So um, I'm gonna have some rubble, get my good old here. And I think this is the easiest way to make this dungeon work exactly how I want to, by doing this. <laughs> and by this, I mean I have blocked the doorway from one to two. 
So that means the players, when they get on the ship, the only way to actually enter this dungeon is through door number three, which is the bow of the ship, uh, the front, and the navigator's room. Because if they go that way, then the next step is for them to go down the stairs, and the stairs lead to the middle of the lower deck. So the lower deck puts them right in the middle of a whole bunch of doors and options they can go into. They won't know where to go next. What I'm going to probably do, maybe I'll go a little bit of a horror angle and have somebody like crawling up uh, area three who's like on their last legs. Literally maybe like half their body's gone. Like really make it pretty grisly so the players don't think they can just feed this person a, a potion and have them come back. So that's always a weird thing in... Like, it's the, why not give Aerith a phoenix down in Final Fantasy kind of rule. It's like, well, because the story demands demands it <laughs> that happens. So this is a case of, like, some survivor will crawl up there, say, please save the others. They came too fast, blah, blah. Like, say some kind of cool stuff and then just die. And then that will give the players a clue to be like, okay, now we know what our mission is here in this dungeon, which is to save people we're being attacked and we still don't know the context of anything. And so then they'll go down. Um, I will allow them to look through. What I'm going to do is have this um, hold so crunched up and blocked that they can't get down through it. Um, it's like, you know, rusted and crunched shut. So they won't be able to open it no matter what. But they will be able to look down and see what's going on down there. I'm sure Mac, I want to like shoot an arrow down there, but we'll just say there's like, it, there's just no, like there's a little bit you can see, but you can't actually interact with anything. Now, if they had like gaseous form or something, a fancy way of moving, then I would allow somebody to do that. But um, I think, I think I'll just let them look down. I mean, I could delete the whole thing and just have it be covered there, but um, I wouldn't mind letting them see where they have to go, but they can't go down here. Instead, I'll just say, hey, there's doors over here you can try. Um, in room number... So, yeah, I know, spoilers. <laughs> Slide spoilers. All right, let's try ending the poll and seeing how that looks. See if it tells me what happened. Okay, there we go, cool. And that's what it looks like with the test poll. Very cool. Yeah, enter cap sounds like a good idea. I like that. It's easier to build a cage for enter cap also. Um, so I think during uh, for room number six, which is going to be like the food storage area, there's going to be a bunch of swagging just like eating shit so they can, you know, open the door and just have a combat encounter there. I'm using the basic Sawagan as well as a Sawagan Raider stat block, which is a little bit stronger offensively and has 10 more average hit points, I guess. I haven't, I haven't rolled hit points for anybody yet because I haven't determined who all is going to be here. I'm interested on for you all to give me some feedback on how many enemies I should even be using for this dungeon. Uh, the original Sawagan attack, by the way, which I think is actually designed for third level because it mentions the in Call from the Deep, that they should just do a whole bunch of encounters, which is a really shitty thing for this adventure to do. It's like, hey, just run a whole bunch of encounters and then get the players up to level three. Well, that's fucking not satisfying. So instead of running scripted modules and things to get them to, or sorry, they're already third level, they're going to be doing this and actually getting to fourth level after a salvage operation. So I'm planning on this. I, I would like for this to last, you know, we're going to do the whole Captain Callus thing. Hopefully that'll be a thing. And then we'll do salvage operation i'm expecting salvage operation alone to take at least two sessions maybe even three um it, it kind of depends on how long the captain callus encounter lasts the original sawagan attack involves two sawagan and two sawagan raiders and then i think around later on initiative count 10 the following turn four additional sawagan arrive in the same fashion and that's it for that encounter uh, which is still four six eight uh sawagan Six of them, the regulars, and two of the raiders. So what I'm going to use is, let's see, three, 
four, probably four Sawagan. And I haven't decided what I want to do with the editor cap yet. If he's actually in the middle of fighting people or if he's just loose in there, maybe, maybe the Sawagan have barred the doors. Um, that could be interesting. I wonder what's more interesting. If I should put... Hmm. Mm -mm -mm. Should I have them in the middle of the fight? In which case, you're going to have this room be full of webs and things. Or have them be, like, outside the door and having barred the door. And that would probably trigger these guys to be involved in the fight as well. I'll probably just stick to having this middle section be empty. But maybe they'll hear noises coming from room 10... Really weird the way they've done numbers here. I tried to copy the numbers they used for uh, the original salvage operation, which is yes, it goes I guess top to bottom, but it's no, it doesn't. It starts in middle. Five is like this middle hallway, then it goes top to bottom. So I guess that's the first room they get to. Um, and room ten, by the way, is where the druid and like the big fight is in this module. So that's what I was planning on having. All right, let's do like a cage and. Um, Let's see if I can find a, a good cage thing that that the uh, editor cap was kept in. Have I never used a cage before? Surely I have. I know I used one for uh, the Dwerger Fortress that this thing busted out of. Uh, and maybe it's already killed one, and maybe it's in the process of attacking another one, and they can hear the sound of, like, screams and fighting. And what's funny is they could burst in this door thinking, oh, we're about to save people from the Sawagan instead they're going to burst through and find an editor cap like eating Sawagan <laughs> so that would be a pretty fun twist um in which case all enemies would suddenly be hostile to the player so probably this one will be dead and then maybe this one will be injured but fighting uh the editor cap so that could be pretty fun and then I'll have some like webs around the area let me put them like there or something. Um, so I don't know if I have room for the undead angle that I was thinking of doing, and it doesn't look like they would make sense to go anywhere because undead, would, if I had them anywhere, they would have to be have been um, secluded from everybody else. And I don't think there's a good spot to uh, have that in there because clearly the Sawagan would have access to this part of the ship, which leads to the hold, which is where they are now. So I've got a raider and a Sawagan in Area 6. I've technically got a Sawagan raider... Uh, down here in area 10, but it'll be fighting the editor cap. Uh, and the editor cap will have killed another uh, Sawagan. And then the hold is where I've got the main battle taking place, which uh, right now I've got three regular Sawagan stat blocks and then the priestess. I've got these little ships here, which will be where they're loading people onto. And then actually this map is really, I love this map art because notice how there are kind of deep water sections as well as more shallow sections to kind of convey the fact that, and also everything is on the port side of the ship because it literally says the ship is listening a little bit to the side. It's a really great touch. Um, and I thought, well, obviously the best minion for Sawagan, who themselves are kind of a minion of the bigger bads, um, is sharks. So why don't we uh, throw some sharks in here? I put them on the GM layer because just so they're not visible immediately from the map. And I thought it'd be a great way to like, you know, have them appear, but literally restrict them to only appearing, you know, in these darker uh sections would be pretty cool too because they're obviously not amphibious like the Sawagan are so uh, this will be kind of a rescue mission for them to be able to fight all of these forces and this should be a pretty big fight depending on how many of these sharks I want to trigger and uh, yeah and that would also fun would be as soon as they step down here that will start initiative 
and they'll be pretty far away, which will hopefully give the uh, Priestess a chance to uh, cast some of her pretty powerful spells, like 70 feet uh, away from where they need to go. And this would definitely be difficult terrain for everybody who does not have uh, a swim speed here, uh, because this would be basically like um, waist-high uh, water here, and then down here would be really like you know, chest deep and deeper. It would be almost basically you're swimming. You are essentially having to swim at that point. So um, I'm looking forward to doing that. I guess I should go ahead and mark these guys. So does that seem like a good amount of enemies? Is it not enough? Is it too... Uh, I was going to say not enough or too few. That's the same thing. Is it too many? Is it too few? And keep in mind... Um, once they defeat these enemies and think they've rescued um, the people that are still here, then I will trigger the big Elder Octopus thing, which is not something they're supposed to fight, but something they're supposed to escape from, and it will probably be quite wounded from them. And keep in mind, per our rules, they can still short rest in five minutes. So, you know, they can basically short rest between encounters. I have no problem with them doing that. As long as there's no, like, literal hostile enemies around them or aggroed to them, then they can certainly... Uh, do that. They will get some information also. There'll be like, a, you know, a captain's log that'll explain um, the situation about how this ship is carrying. Uh, I don't know if that information should be here. Maybe I should hide. Maybe I should hide that information in like a literal captain's room. Maybe we'll use area eight for that in terms of like, hey, here's the important stuff. Maybe they'll. Maybe the information about the creature they're they're moving uh, could be in, you know, teasing, and maybe I won't name the creature, because that'd be a great tease, but just say, make sure the creature is properly secured, um, we've got a, you know, somebody in Neverwinter is paying top dollar, uh, to make sure it's, you know, unharmed, or something, <laughs> uh, so tease the fact there's a creature down there would be pretty nice to do, but then maybe include the actual captain, um, message and correspondence somewhere else in, like, Area 8, just to kind of help spread that stuff out, I think, uh, Treasure-wise, there's not going to be much. And honestly, unfortunately, I need to add some more treasure. And you know, you all know I love my treasures. There's not a lot between Sinister Secret and even Salvage Operation. And after this adventure, my players will be fourth level. I feel like by the time you get to fourth level, shouldn't everybody have at least one good magic item by then? So I think they're really kind of behind the curve a bit. I know that's kind of a... Uh, tube and the toothpaste thing like you can't you know once you start giving them magic items it's it's hard to fix that power curve a bit but gosh i feel like they need something else and the only thing that's here there's a big box this is from the original adventure scroll of gust of wind which i already have protection from poison that's fine a potion of heroism that's good potion of water breathing that's good and a cloak of protection which is really good and then like 500 gold which is huge so, I, I don't know, I think it might be worth having something here. And I, I feel like also if there was treasure, then the Sawagan would have probably claimed it, unless it was, you know, really hidden somewhere. So, like, maybe even the Sawagan Priestess is wearing, you know, the cloak of... Oops, it clicked on sharp telepathy. <laughs> uh, maybe the Sawagan Priestess is actually wearing the cloak of protection, for example. Um, so, yeah, I, I might have to add... I feel like I need to add something else in there, and yet you think about, like, how strong, like, Mac is right now with his damage. 
I don't know. It gets it, it, it's a tricky thing. I do love loot. I again, I come from that video game background, or even the older edition of D and D, where you know Neverwinter Nights and Baldur's Gate, like they all give you a fuck ton of loot, but then they balance encounters around that. And the players right now have like no loot whatsoever. I actually put a message in our private uh, players only disc Discord uh, channel that was like, "Hey, if you've got any specific you know wish lists of items or things or concepts that you would like, then let me know." Um, I, I do consider maybe getting um, Savra like a cool spellbook thing. We talked about that in one of the previous uh, crafting streams. Maybe, um, I don't know, a, uh, a a cool book that's kind of like half sentient and does maybe just acts kind of like a War of the Wand Mage or gets you a plus one or something. BG3 co-op calls. I hear you. Get get that get that on. Man, we have not been able to play. We didn't play last week because Ray was out of, on vacation. Uh, thankfully, he's not missing any of the Fridays, and then Chris will be on vacation for next weekend, so we're going to have to go two weeks without playing uh, BG3 co-op, which is a bummer for us, for sure. So yeah, what do we think about Salvage Operation? My new, and I'm not sure improved, but at least fits my story better, Salvage Operation, which is no longer about Salvage Operation, I realize that. And I'm hoping, this should take multiple sessions. I haven't even talked about the um, the tentacle thing at the end much, other than just teasing that it's going to happen. I'm hoping I, I should get a whole other session to talk about that, right? Because these fights will take a while, like the exploits will take a while. I'm guessing Salvage Operation alone should take uh, two sessions, and then depending on how long that Captain Callus encounter, you know, is that a full-blown encounter that takes half our session, or is that something that takes like, you know, 15 or 20 minutes of doing a skill challenge, doing it well, and then they never catch up? that could be a possibility too. So that's a real weird one because it could be a huge time sink or it could not be a big time sink. I'm guessing it will be at least somewhat probably up to half the session length and then we would start, you know, salvage operation and maybe get through like the first uh, battle or something or, or, yeah, depending on where that is. And then hopefully we can finish it next time, but maybe not. Again, depending on, this, this could be a major boss battle here that lasts a full session, just the whole cargo hold. And then what would be really fun, I think, is if we time it where we end with them, uh, you know, defeating most of the Sawagan, thinking they're going to escape, and all of a sudden the ship lists, they hear these horrible screams and these tentacles start bursting through the ship, and then that's where the session ends. Like, talk about a cool freaking cliffhanger if i can pull that off if, if the timing works out that way i think that would be absolutely incredible to be able to do that so well that's one of the hardest things to do with a live session obviously is trying to figure out where's a good spot to end it but that would be a truly amazing one which probably means you know this fight and maybe this fight would need to be one session and then the session before that would probably be the a lot of this exploration and maybe the fight with the swagan up here and then whether or not that's included in the captain callus one i don't know so we'll we'll figure that out but that'll be it's a whole bunch of boat stuff coming up but the point is i'll be able to talk a full hopefully next week about the um the tentacle stuff so right now for this week's purposes i mainly need to make sure that captain callus encounter is totally locked down and then probably like the first half of salvage operation is fairly locked down so make sure room three stuff is good and then uh kind of everything up to and probably including the Edder Cap encounter needs to be locked down. And then from there, I think next week we can talk more about the actual cargo hold and then the uh, final octopus fight. Good stuff, though. I'm I'm feeling better about this now that I've fixed it. <laughs> I didn't necessarily need fixing. I just wanted to change a lot of it because this one turns out fit my needs in a different way. 
I guess I'm I'm using the idea of a derelict ship being a dungeon crawl full of enemies, and I'm using the entire colossal octopus attacks the ship at the end, and then I'm changing everything else about it. So still technically salvage operation, but also not really. All right, I think that will do it. I don't know where if I got an hour or not. I started so late, so but I need to feed the little one lunch and myself. So I think that will do it for this Thursday edition of Crafting the Deep. If you enjoy the content, please check out patreon.com slash roguewatson or Jeebus will return for sure. I, I love RBG 3 plays. I haven't actually played uh, my solo game and it feels like weird. It feels like I'm cheating on my group, even though I know uh, Chris, especially, I see him playing Baldur's Gate all the time on Steam. Um, he's playing the crap out of the solo game, but uh, Heather hasn't been playing co-op at, or uh, solo at all. And I've only barely scratched the surface of solo play. It feels like, it feels weird now. It's like, oh, I'm not. I, I just, I just miss our co-op game when I'm playing solo, which is bizarre because we don't play with the party members. There's a big part of Baldur's Gate. 3. Anyway, I can talk a whole bunch about that. Um, by the way, uh, DM Roundtable tonight. If you haven't already, please RSVP if you're a patron and would like to join for the DM Roundtable. All right, patrons. Shouts to Platinum patrons: Joe, Will, Thomas, Stan, Brandon, Genocider, David, Electric, Role Player, Role, Christopher, Brian, Corey, Co. Thirteen thirty-seven, Big Nut, John F, John L, Scott, Eric, Tyler, Nathan, Camp, Crystal Lake, Counselor, Andrew, C, Daryl, The Reldrin, Captain, Money, Seventy Nine, Stephanie, Andy, Peaser, One One Three Five Eight Zero Nine, and Patrick. And gold patrons, RPG, Papercrafts, Pretty Boy, and Human, Lizard, Lion, Sam, Lumpy's Buds, Jerome, Nathan, Fast, Like Tortoise, Scott, Ruffus, Karen, William, Jerry, Thomas, and Prophet. Thank you all very much for your support. So, DM Roundtable tonight. I will see. Uh, we'll see you for D and D tomorrow.